Isn't that a beautiful song? And I love to fade into the old favorite song at the end. It's, uh, but it's all about the blood of Christ, the cost of our sin, the shedding of that blood on the cross, and the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to be talking all about that today. So would you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so, so thankful to be here together. And I pray that you will open your word to us, allow us to hear what you have to say, allow us to experience transformation in our lives, allow us to be enabled by your Holy Spirit to walk after you step by step. Lord, reveal yourself today in your word and in us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I suspect that every one of us here this morning has been through a broken relationship of one kind or another. And uh, in our pain and in our woundedness, we can end up building up walls to surround that pain and, and to lock ourselves into a kind of a prison of our own making. You know, we, we put these walls up to try to lock people out because we're hurting on the inside or because we don't want any more pain in our lives. And, and we find at some point those walls are in the way and we got to tear them down. That's what we've really been talking about for the last six weeks. Ways to tear down the walls between us and God and ways to tear down the walls between us and other people. We talked about making choices. We talked about how those choices can, can help to heal our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups uh, or some choices will cause us to hang on to those things and to keep walking in a way that's kind of like stumbling, kind of like limping along. God wants to set us free from them, and that's what we're talking about. We talked about how you know, making certain choices can open up the possibilities in life that, that are different from what we're living right now. You know, Right now, maybe things, we're, just, we're getting by. But maybe we're not living the fullest life that God would have for us. And so these choices that we're talking about can really help us in that way. Today, we are talking at, about the sixth choice of life's healing choices. And um, there's two Beatitudes that are involved right here. And we're going to be concentrating on them. They are the foundation of what we're going to be talking about. Matthew 5, 7 says, Happy are those who are merciful to others. And Matthew 5, 9 says, happy are those who work for peace. So today we're going to have an opportunity to make this relationship choice. And, and here's what it looks like, and it's in your notes this morning if you've got uh, notes. The choice is to evaluate all of my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who've hurt me, and make amends for harm that I've done to others, except where to do so would harm them or harm others. If I passed you pieces of paper out right now this morning and I said to you, I want you to start down, I want you to start writing down every single word that anybody has ever said that hurt you, every wound that you've ever experienced, every relationship that's been broken, every person who's ever betrayed you, all the way back to kindergarten. And we'd be here for a long, long time, and even longer if we added to the list the things that we've done wrong, the thing that we, things that we have done to hurt other people. We'd be writing all the way until Jesus returned, I think. We have an endless list of the way that 
that people have hurt us, the ways that we've been hurt and the ways that we hurt each other. We've each kind of carry a catalog of those things, you know? We file them away for later. We file them away for use. And they come out. The reason for all this hurt, all of this hurt that we experience is, is that a lot of the time we love poorly. We don't love well. And when we don't love well, we hurt each other, and we really need forgiveness, and we need mercy, and we need those walls that we've put up. We need them torn down pretty much on a daily basis because they just get in the way. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, I go through a good time, and I, I tear all those walls down, and I'm having great relationships, and then I find that I get scared, and, and I don't want to get hurt. And so brick by brick, I start sticking those walls back up again. And so that's why we need to be tearing them down over and over again. We're going to look at Matthew 18 this morning. Matthew, Jesus tells us what feels to me like a very disturbing and yet kind of a profound story about forgiveness. Uh, if you have your bulletin this morning, the text is written there. If uh, you don't, the reference is up here. You can look it up. There are Bibles in the pews. And uh, it's a, a time when Jesus has been talking with his disciples about dealing with sin among brothers and sisters. You know, this is, as we project forward, this is the church we're talking about, right? The church of God that's forming as Jesus is building it. And Jesus gets to this part, starting in Matthew 18 and verse 21, and, and it says, at that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him, and he had run a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man along with his wife, children, and goods to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance. I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came on, on, upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and he demanded, pay up now. And the poor wretch threw himself down and begged, please, please give me a chance, I'll pay it back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until that debt was paid. When the other servants saw what was going on, they were outraged and they brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious. And it says here in, in the message translation, he put the screws to him. Until he paid the entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. So like I said, it's, there's a little bit of disturbing stuff in there. I mean, it, I, I read that and I go, wow, that's harsh. But you know, there are two profound thoughts I think that grew out of this story. 
And, uh, and I'm pretty sure they might relate to me and my own problem with forgiveness sometimes, and maybe yours too. And I want to share them with you this morning. So I, I hope they encourage you as you work on your relationships, and especially as you work on this whole idea of forgiveness. The first principle that I want to share this morning is this one. Because I have been forgiven, I can forgive. Because I've been forgiven, I can forgive. This is where we have to begin to forgive our huge catalog of hurts and wounds. We have to begin with the fact that we have been forgiven. Because we've been forgiven, we are then able to forgive. I want you to picture this story, you know, the story that we just taught, read through quickly. Here's this servant, he worked for a wealthy king, and he's bopping along, doing life, and he gets the summons to see the king, and the king brings him in, and, and he's going over the books, and he realizes this servant owes him a lot of money. It says in the scripture, 10,000 bags of gold, and um, it converts to about $100,000 in, in their period to our period. Um, I don't know how this guy ended up with $100,000 of debt. I mean, that's just crazy, the amount of debt that he has. And the story didn't tell us what happened, but it says that the debt was gigantic. And the king says, pay up now. I want my 10,000 bucks. If you don't give it to me right now, I'm going to put you and your family in jail. I'm going to sell everything that you own. Uh, some translations say we're going to sell you at the slave market or sell you into indentured servitude. And the servant falls down in his face and he begs the king for mercy. Please, please, please give me time and I'll pay it back. And the king says, okay, I'll forget it. I'll wipe it all out. I'll take it off the book so it doesn't exist anymore. We're done. You can go. I release you from all this debt that you have. That's pretty amazing. Let's pause a moment here and think about this. I mean, this is really me and really you, right? I mean, you and I owe a debt to the king, to God. It's an unpayable debt. It's a gigantic debt. It's, it's made up of everything that we've ever done or said or thought that disagreed with God's will. And it comes just by virtue of the fact that we're born with a sin nature. You know, that's, that's kind of a magnetic attraction to sin that we're born with because of the fall. And we're separated from God. There's this huge chasm between us. You know, here we have God who's a holy person. And here we are anything but. And we're separated by all that distance. And we owe this huge debt that we can't pay. Even if we worked our whole lives, we could never pay it off like this servant in the story. We can't ever pay it back. Why did the king of the story forgive the man? Why does God forgive me? Why does God forgive you? Why does he do that? Why did he forgive you this debt that is so big you can't possibly pay it back? Why? Why would he have mercy on us? In the grand scheme of things, we're nothing. But you know that God would have mercy on me in this way. It just takes my breath away. It's because of Jesus. That debt that you and I owe didn't remain unpaid 
We couldn't pay it, but it didn't remain unpaid. Jesus paid for it on the cross. Think about the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. A wealthy man has two sons. The youngest son insults his father greatly and demands an inheritance so that he can now leave. You know, and the equivalent in language would be to say, I wish you were dead so I can have your money right now. Now that's culturally what the younger son was saying to the father. And the father, in spite of all this, gives him the money and lets him go. And off goes the son. Well, you know how the story goes, right? Uh, he lives large, parties on, spends all the cash. Nothing's left. And he gets so poor, the only thing he can get is the worst of jobs. Think about it. He's never really worked. He's lived off his father. He's lived off the, the land, you know, lived off the estate. And he's so poor, he can only get this worst of jobs, and, and that's feeding the pigs. And he gets so hungry he looks at what the pigs are eating and he, he just, he's so hungry he wants, he desires to eat that too. You know, for a Jewish farm boy to be living in a pig pen is just about the absolute epitome of shame. You know, it was forbidden to eat pork. That was not kosher. They were not allowed to eat it. And, and here he is feeding the pigs and desiring to eat like them. And then there in a pig pen, he, he comes to that rock-bottom moment, and he realizes, you know, if I just go home, I can eat better than this. My father's lowest servant eats better than this. And so he goes home. He realizes that he's blown it. He realizes that he's thrown everything away. I, I can't even imagine that journey home when he's... When, it seems God is working in his heart and all this stuff is going through his mind and you know, he's dejected. He, he realizes, oh man, I, I don't deserve him to receive me. What if he, if he just, he could reject me? But if he'll just let me live like his lowest servant, I'll be okay. He knows he doesn't deserve it. He knows he deserves judgment. He knows he deserves his father's anger. He knows he deserves nothing because he broke his dad's heart. But even after breaking everything that was sacred to his family, and he knows he's trashed it, but his hope is that maybe dad will let me just stay. Maybe dad will let me just take this low job again. I don't really deserve anything else. <laughs> and he comes around that bend, and he approaches the house and and he's feeling lost and dejected and ashamed. And, and imagine him looking up and seeing something in the distance. And as he gets closer, he realizes it's his dad. And his dad is standing there in the road. Imagine the father. How many times a day would he have to go out to the road to be looking to be there at that time? Or maybe he just stays at the road. Maybe he's there every day. But he's waiting and that son comes around the corner and sees that father waiting. I can't even imagine how he feels. Maybe he feels dad is just waiting there to bop me. <laughs> you know? Maybe dad's there to tear me down, to blow his anger all over me. 
when the father sees him, it says he became most undignified. He lifted up the robes, you know, and he ran down the road, you know, ran towards him and threw his arms around him and kissed him and hugged him and forgave him. That was not expected. Even his wildest dreams didn't come out like that, but that's what the father does in that story. He forgives him, he restores him, and he celebrates his return, even though that son doesn't deserve it. You know, God lets us make our own choices, right? He doesn't force you to do anything. And he loves you in spite of the wrong choices that you make, the wrong ones I make. The father in the story, I love this. Henry Nouwen points out that the father in this story loves him the whole time. It isn't just when the son returns that the father loves the son. It's the whole time he's gone. You know, the son leaves. He didn't stop loving the boy because the boy made bad choices. He didn't stop loving the boy because the boy insulted him and and tore him down and took away some of his dreams. He still loves that boy, and he loves him even more when he comes back. That's God's love for us. That's the way God loves us. Sometimes I think we think that God is waiting there to scold us when we return. And I think when we get off track, we're afraid to get back on because we're afraid God is just going to like throw lightning bolts at us or something. You know, he's going to punish us, come down on us because we haven't been righteous. But you know, and, and maybe that grows out of our relationship with our parents. Maybe your parents were like that. Maybe, maybe they determine how you see God. But God is like the king who forgives the servant's gigantic debt. And like the father who forgives his son, he's just happy to have his son back. He's happy to have him there. And he waits for us. And as we come, he hugs us and he kisses us and he puts the ring on our finger and he puts the robe around us and he says, I love you. Why does he do that? Why does he treat us with such kindness? We all have that, we know ourselves, we all have that dark place in our heart where we throw the garbage. We all have that that place where we stick away all the uncomfortable stuff. We have that place where we stuff down the, the things that cause us shame and, and the really big hurts, too. We put those in there. It's like this deep cave in our heart. It's where all the bad and the hurtful things are. And in the darkness, God is shining a light. And he can see it. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't see what we've been doing to ourselves, God, he can see this. And he isn't shocked. He doesn't run away screaming. He sees the place that's, that's so dark that's never seen the light of day. He sees what's going on there. He sees those places where you're struggling and where you hurt and where you question and where you doubt. He even sees those places where you blasphemed him. He sees those places where you've cried out in agony. He sees it all and he doesn't run away because he loves you and he has mercy on you. Because he's treated us this way, 
he asks us to treat others with this same kind of mercy and grace. So because I received mercy and forgiveness and grace from God, I can now forgive others because I have received this. So it's a simple formula, right? A plus B equals C. God forgives me, I forgive you, and it's all good. Isn't that the way it works? I don't know about you, it seldom works out quite so easily in my life. I wish it did. But there's a problem. I don't like to forgive. I don't like to forgive. And I bet you don't like to forgive either. It's one of those big barriers in our lives. God forgives me and he says, forgive others like I've forgiven you. But typically, it goes like this. God forgives me and then I don't forgive you. I'll hang on to that burden. I'll hang on to that bitterness, that hatred, that ugliness. I'll hang on to that because it's mine. I earned it. I built it up over a long period of my life. You know, that's a really dangerous way to think and live, right? Because it does terrible things to us. It leads me to the second thing this morning, and that is the unforgiving become unforgiven. That's what it says. Think back to that story about the king and his servant in Matthew 18. Uh, the servant gets forgiveness from the king and he skips out of the king's chamber and he has his debts forgiven and he's a happy man and he's avoided prison and he doesn't have to pay back this enormous debt. And he's skipping along the road and he sees somebody who owes him 10 bucks. I love the equivalency, the way that, that he words this here, that Peterson words this. He goes up to the guy and he grabs him by the collar and he says, you owe me 10 bucks and I want it right now. Pay up right now. If you don't pay up right now, I'm going to throw you into prison. You and your wife and your kids and everything. If you don't pay it back, you are toast. Well, it's the same thing that happened to him, isn't it? Same thing. Much larger debt, but the same thing. I find that more often than I'd like to admit, I'm like that ungrateful servant. I want mercy from God. I want him to forgive me. But when it comes to the sin and the woundedness and the failures of other people, especially those who've hurt me, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Instead of giving the mercy that I have been given, I want justice. I want justice. You hurt me, you need to pay. You wound me, you need to pay. I'm angry. I deserve my anger. What you did was wrong. And if you're not careful, I'm going to bring it up again at some other time. Because I've got it scored away in my catalog of hurts. But in this story, the king hears about what's going on, about what his ungrateful servant did, and he calls that first servant back, and the servant gets his original punishment back, only worse. So it says he threw him into prison, and, and you know this translation put the screws to him. Uh, there are 12 different 
versions of the New Testament that all say essentially the same thing, that, that he got put in prison, but he was tormented, he was tortured, he earned this treatment. So how does that, how does that extrapolate? Well, the idea is that if you're not forgiving, in the very least, you need to understand that you are creating a torture chamber for yourself. If you hold on to resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness, you're going to build a wall around yourself, around your heart, kind of an emotional prison. And you're going to be in it. And the torment that that bitterness can put against you, it can break you. It can tear you down. You know, this isn't an isolated teaching. Uh, if we take a look over at Matthew 5 and 7, that, that beatitude is God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. You know, this is the positive way to look at that. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin... Oh boy, it's, it really says this. Your father will not forgive you. That's scary. <laughs> That's scary. I, I read a quote that says, as long as you are unable to forgive, you keep yourself chained to the unforgiving. We give them rent-free space in our mind. We give them emotional shackles in our heart. We give them the right to torment us in the wee small hours of the night if we forgive or if we refuse to forgive. Well, I, I want you to know, if anything else this morning, that unforgiveness and bitterness is a poison and it's going to slowly eat away at you through your healthy relationships especially. That bitterness in your life, that hostility, that anger that you feel, uh, if not dealt with, that you keep covering up, it's kind of like a nasty infection. Um, you ever get something like that? I, I you know, cut myself one time, got a really nice infection, and I stuck a Band-Aid on it. <laughs> and didn't really think about it. And, and when that Band-Aid fell off in the shower, I looked down, and that little infection, that little cut that I had, was now about three times bigger than that, and it was red and swollen and really ugly. And I had to do something about it. Because it got worse. And that's what bitterness is like. It, it's eating the healthy relationships in our life. And friendship can die. And love can die. And marriages can die. The, the main reason they do it is because of the unforgiveness of sin and resentment. So I want to say to you today, folks, it is time to forgive. It, it's time to release the offender it's time to stop telling that story over and over again that feeds it. It's time to stop stabbing yourself with the pain that you feel towards those that you can't forgive. I always love, C.S. Lewis has so many amazingly quotable things. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So how do you become a forgiver? How do you do that? How do you let go of all these layers and layers and layers of things, these treatment and the, the resentment and the bitterness and the anger, all those things that sit down there in our soul? 
Well, there are two ways that I know of, and, and neither of them are very easy, I'm afraid. The first one is this. The first is to nail it to the cross. The wound, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, you can nail it figuratively to the cross of Christ, the one who paid the debt. He paid it on the cross. He paid that terrible, huge debt that we had. And because he could pay, or because he paid for my debt, I can now forgive others. I can forgive the debt that you owe me. I can nail it to the cross. Because of his forgiveness for me, then I can forgive you. In Matthew 18, that servant didn't get another chance. He didn't get a second chance after he messed it up. But you and I, we have another chance right now. You're here today, and, and you have another chance, and, and it really doesn't matter who it was that you haven't forgiven or what the grudge is that you're holding on to. It's just building up inside of you. And you have another chance today to actually release that, to let it go. This is your moment. I, I remember going to a Promise Keepers event and they put a big wooden cross on the stage. It's at the Pontiac Silverdome, and there was like 63,000 men. It was a, at that time, it was the largest gathering of men since World War II. And, and there's this huge wooden cross on stage. And, and we all were given a piece of paper, and, and they said, we want you to write the name of the person who has hurt you the most that you haven't forgiven. Just write that name on there. <laughs> And they gave you, you know, a few minutes to think about who that was. And it's like, oh, I knew who that was. I knew who that was. The music is playing. They got Michael W. Smith up there playing. And, you know, the music is good. I could have just focused on the music and just tried to ignore this chewing thing in my gut. But then they started calling people forward. And they said, take that piece of paper and go up to that cross and crumple up that piece of paper and throw it as hard as you can at the foot of the cross. And hundreds and hundreds of men started lining up to do this. And, and I didn't even have anything on my paper yet, and I stood up and started walking. But I was having trouble writing the name of that guy on that slip. <laughs> I don't know, I just wasn't, maybe I wasn't ready to let go of that anger. And all that hurt. I'd forgiven him up here in my head. I hadn't forgiven him down here in my heart. And I had lots of time in that long, long line to skip out. <laughs> I get, and I had every excuse in the world. I could have just slipped off to the bathroom or gone somewhere and, and nobody would have said anything or thought anything. But I stayed in that line. And I finally, as I'm moving, I start, I write that name down. And then I get to the front. My gut's just twisting me the whole time. And I know who this struggle is with, who I have to release And it was so hard. It was harder than I thought it was going to be. You'd think with all those people going forward, you know, all these friends going forward, and all these people going forward, it'd be easy, but it wasn't. And finally, I got to the head of the line. And I'm thinking, what am I doing up here? I crumpled up that piece of paper, and it's like God put these words in my head. I said, I've forgiven you. And I release you. And I threw that as hard as I could at the foot of the cross. 
You know, as soon as I released it, I felt different. As soon as I released it, I, I felt that something changed in my heart that I could let go. It was like this 100-pound weight lifted off my shoulders. And I, I can't say it never raised its ugly head again because it did. And I had to tear that down again. But I let go of that person, and God set me free from that anger. And that anger, I have to admit, was getting pretty close to hatred sometimes. I, I think refusing to forgive is a good barometer of where we're at with God. Maybe more than anything else. I, I think that you know, we serve a lot in church. We attend a lot of functions and services. We can hold a particular office in the church. Maybe we're giving to the poor. And we think that's the way to show Jesus our love. But you want to test something. If you really want to know how deep your walk is, tell me how quickly and how easily and how completely you forgive. That'll tell you where you're at in your walk with God because being an unforgiving Christian, that's an oxymoron. There is no such thing. We have received mercy so we can give mercy. The second step and the last thing is very simple, and it's this. Start today. <laughs> Start now. Don't put this off. Don't do what I did. Don't shuffle it off to Buffalo for a couple of years until it eats you alive. Deal with it. You and I can begin in the same place. God, I tell you again how grateful I am for your love and all that you've given me. I thank you for the way that you poured out your mercy on me, for the fact that you took a debt that I couldn't pay. I thank you. And because of that, here's the hard part. Because of that, I am willing to forgive. You know, sometimes I've had to pray, God, make me willing to be willing. <laughs> you know, have you ever had that? But God comes through. So I want to ask you to do something today. Um, in, your, sir, in your bulletin, if you open up the bulletin, if you have a bulletin there, uh, there are two sticky notes in there. That's so your companion can have one. <laughs> and if you don't have one, at the end of every pew, there is a pad of sticky notes. And so if you don't have one, just get someone to pass one down to you because they're all there. I want you to write the name or the names of the unforgiven in your life. Paper's tiny on purpose. I know some of you could use, you know, two or three tablets, right? <laughs> but... I want you just to take that primary name that Jesus will give you right now. We're going to take a few moments of silence in a moment as the, as the band comes up here and they get ready to play and lead us in our final song. But I want, we're going to take a moment of silence before they play that song, before we sing, and ask Jesus to show you who that person is. Just write a first name, or if you feel uncomfortable writing that person's name, um, Write something related to that to, so you know who that person is yourself. This is about not being in denial. You could say there's nobody in my life that I feel like that. Well, maybe it's not such a big thing. Maybe it's a smaller thing, but those smaller things, they fester and they grow and they get out of control. 
And, and I don't really believe that there's nobody in your life that you need to ask God to help you forgive. That's between you and God right now. Just put that name on there. And uh, we're going to take a minute in quietness as this band's coming. And I want you to be able to say, God, this is the person, and I release him or I release her in Jesus' name. I want you to be able to say that. And when you leave this morning, you'll notice that there's a garbage can in the aisle down there. And I want you to crumple that up and throw it in the garbage can down there. It's right in front of the offering table on purpose because this is an offering to God as well. Take that paper, crumple it up, throw it out in the garbage and say, I forgive you. I release you in Jesus' name. And if you can't do that this morning, I want you to do something else. Take that sticky note with you, stick it on your purse, put it on your wallet. When you get home, put it on your fridge, put it someplace where you'll see it and pray over it. God, who is that person? Help me to release that person, to forgive that person. Let them go. You've been forgiven a debt you can't pay. But Jesus did it for you. Now you do it for somebody else. Okay, let's take that minute now. We're going to sit for a minute, pray over it, write that name down, and then we're going to sing that final song. And when we're dismissed, just remember, go down and just throw that piece of paper out.